and welcome to another action-packed, body-slamming episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. This is Tommy Fierro, and we are talking all about the first ever pay-per-view Royal Rumble today here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast, 1989. A lot to unpack here. So much star power in this Royal Rumble. I know Royal Rumble is this weekend, so this is the official kickoff to wrestle. Uh, Royal Rumble weekend, and Jumpin' Jay's with me right now, and we have a special surprise guest on the line today. I told you last week on the podcast that I was going to try and find someone that was in the first Royal Rumble, and not only did I do that, but I have found someone that was one of the first two guys in the Royal Rumble, and we're going to be joined here momentarily by legendary Bill... Edie, Demolition Acts. Jumpin' Jay, I'm excited for today's episode. Listen, Tom, I'm always excited to talk about the golden era of professional wrestling, but when you bring a legend into the studio with us today, I make no bones about it. You know this. Demolition is my favorite all-time tag team in the history of professional wrestling, and so when you get to sit across the microphone from a legend uh, like Bill Edie, I don't know how today could get any better, sir. Absolutely. Bill, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you on this morning. How are you, sir? Hey, it's my pleasure, my friend. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. We're talking all about the Royal Rumble. I know there's a bunch of callers on hold already. Big weekend for wrestling fans. Even me to this day, Bill, I still get excited for the Royal Rumble. And uh, what was it like back then when they first – I know they had a a non – pay-per-view won the year before that Hacksaw Jim Duggan won in 1988. But what was the initial reaction, Bill, from from not only you and, and, and Barry, but all the guys, the concept of the Royal Rumble? Well, you know, it was kind of a unique uh, setup. I, I, I think that Pat Patterson has given credit for developing it, but uh, whoever did get develop it uh, uh, has a great great mind for the business because it generates excitement from the first entrance to the last person. And, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite uh, events to be involved in. Let me ask you this, sir. When you find out that you and Smash are going to be the first two guys to to enter this Royal Rumble and you're going to have a minute and a half to kind of go head-to-head with each other, at the time you guys are the reigning tag team champions were you guys excited about that opportunity to have just the two of you in the ring to kick off this event well realistically i i knew that i was number one because that's the number i drew i wasn't i wasn't even aware that barry drew number two and uh once i drew my number i figured man this is gonna be gonna be a long long time (laughs) if i'm gonna win this thing and then i went i went and got you know loosened up and prepared and then I didn't realize that Barry had two until the music went off. And rather really? than sit there and twiddle our Yeah. And uh, I think Barry will tell you the same thing. He he knew that I got number one, but when he, by the time he pulled his number, uh, I'd already been on the way uh, loosening up and out of the area. Yeah, so it was, it was exciting. And I think that uh, we've been... We've been to many, many events, and and I'm looking forward to coming up to 
80s con with Tommy again, but inevitably, I'm telling you, hundreds of fans, that's the memory that they have. Uh, they always ask about it. And uh, so it's imprinted on their minds. And I think that uh, they may try to duplicate it or they have tried to duplicate it, but, you know, you can't replace always the first. No, that's a very good point and very well said. I remember, it's one of my favorite pro wrestling childhood memories. And the weird thing about it, I'm a huge Demolition fan. You're my favorite take team of all time. I was not worried that this was a split of Demolition. Like, I didn't worry that this was going to lead to you guys feuding and turning on each other. It was just excitement. Even if you rewatch the clip, the crowd that's in attendance, when they see Smash comes out and they see you two face off and start punching each other, they pop for it. They were excited for it. Did you ever hear any yeah. rumblings that maybe this was the start of a turn, or no, this was just for a, a one-off Royal Rumble event? Very, very few uh, individuals have, have made that statement that they thought it was going to be a turn. Uh, most of them simply say that that's what they expected us to go against each other because that was our character, you know, just – kick ass and take names and uh, mm-hmm. I think it would have been rather boring if we'd have sat there and put our arms around each other and waited for the next guy to come in. So I yeah, think that's, that's a, what they expected of us. That's a very good point and it was definitely entertaining and you guys put on a good show. We have lots of callers on hold and so we're going to jump to the call line but before I do just one fun question. Both you and Smash big strong dudes like you said kicking butt, taking names, just for fun. Do you think you could have taken them? If it was just you two for the whole match, do you think you would have come out on top, Axe? Absolutely. Oh, I don't know. We we keep, we keep uh, every time somebody brings that up, the response that we both have is, we almost killed each other. <laughs> so, I'm st- Fair I'm, enough. I think I'm still feeling... I think I'm still feeling part of those punches today. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, we're going to jump into the call line. Up first, longtime friend of the show, somebody who had the pleasure of meeting you last year at Tommy's uh, big convention there in New Jersey. It's time to connect with Babyface Brian. Brian, good morning. You are live on the air with Demolition Axe. Good morning, Jay. Good morning, Tommy. And uh, so glad you could be on the show this morning, Mr. Edie. It's a pleasure to talk to you well, again. You. Yeah, I, uh, uh, I got to, like like Jay said, I got to spend a little bit of time with you last year. You you were uh, so kind to sit at the table with me at breakfast the morning before Edie's Wrestling Con. And uh, I, I actually got to give you an Andre the Giant patent LJN. You said your daughter uh, collects action oh, figures. Yes, so. yes, yes, yes. So, yeah, so that and was I still a, a have thrill. That well, thank you very much. I do appreciate that. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you. And the, you're, uh, you're coming this year again, aren't you? You know, I don't know that I'll be able to make it this year. I'm all the way out in California, and uh, the the uh, oh, the expense my. is a bit much. Yeah, but uh, I was wondering if those uh, big rubber guys action figures that you and Smash had uh, released from uh, the Major Wrestling Figure Podcast. Um, I was wondering what kind of excitement level that brought to you guys as far as having the first uh, LJN-style figures that you'd had in many years, and you have some other figures um, that are more in a a Remco style, but uh, is that something where you were able to get some of those for your daughter as well, and uh, how exciting was it to get some new action figures after all these years? 
Oh, it was it was uh, very nice, and uh, uh, they they turned out really well. And matter of fact, they gave us uh, I think we I think they gave us ten each. And of course, wow. as soon as they as soon as they were delivered to the house, my daughter lives in Charlotte, but she was here visiting at that time, so she grabbed about four of them right away. Great. Give them to the grand, grandsons and stuff like that. But, yeah, they did a real good job. And like you say, the uh, Epic Toys are, are, are out uh, from England now. So, And then uh, Power Town is going to bring out another edition. I think it, they called us and mentioned that they'd be, probably be out this fall. So it's, it's, it's really exciting to have them uh, after all these years. And uh, appreciate the fans because the fans are the ones that uh, pressured the, the companies to start generating them. Well, I'm thrilled for you guys getting to have that uh, that new excitement around the action figures. Maybe a little bit of income off it as well. And uh, yeah. and that 19 that 1989 Royal Rumble that the big difference to me that year was they were able to really start telling some great stories at a Rumble. The year before it was kind of a last minute house show put together to combat the uh, NWA's Clash of the Champions, uh, or they had a, not, that was uh, WrestleMania, they combated the NWA's Bunkhouse Brawl, I believe it was, but the, the best the best part of the whole night was you and you and Smash starting off the night, one and two, and then they, uh, they teased the uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage split that would uh, come a couple weeks later on the main event before WrestleMania five. So the, really the storytelling just notched it up a few levels at that 1989 Rumble. And like I say, the, the most memorable part of the whole night is is you and Smash duking it out to start wow. the night. So, um, I appreciate really, it. You, I was just going to say, I, I really say, appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you, and it's it's nice to be on these podcasts, and it's nice to go to the conventions and, and signings and stuff because we always have a – opportunity to make meet fans like you all who are very knowledgeable i've often said and, and tommy knows this uh if you don't know the answer just ask the fans because they remember well and i appreciate you all well they, they say don't meet your heroes but i'd say in the case of axe and smash demolition definitely do meet your heroes i couldn't have met two nicer guys and I'm sure there's a lot of guys that would like to talk to you. So I'll, I'll let you get on to some other callers. And, again, I just want to wish you and your family and, uh, and Barry all the best in the world. And thank you again for making such a, uh, a huge mark on our childhood, my friend. So I thank you, Bill. Thank and, you. And uh, wish you all the best. Thank you. You bet. All right. Thank you so much, Brian, for kicking off today's conversation with the legend, Demolition Axe, who drew number one in the 1989 Royal Rumble. His partner, Smash, drew number two. And the guy who drew number two today is our caller from Boston. It's Matt. Matt, good morning, sir. Welcome to the conversation. You are live with Demolition Axe. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Bill, such a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. Uh, well, thanks for thanks for taking the time out to talk to all your fans. I know we all appreciate it. Um, I will be at uh, 80s Wrestling Con this year, so if you're able to make it, I can uh, I can meet you again there. I, you know, well, we're going to be there. Comp- oh, there you go. All right, I'll look Remember, forward to hey, it. Hey Matt, real quick, I would never, ever, ever in a million years run anything 
uh, 80s related without demolition. They're my favorite guys. I'm being serious. I'm not who's on the show, and I've told them this. Demolition, especially Bill in particular, is my favorite guy I've ever worked with in the history of me promoting wrestling shows for 30 years. That's how much, that's how much of a gentleman Bill is. I love Bill to death. Well, yeah, Tommy I, and I, I have I had believe... a long relationship. I, I was on his first event, so he's, a, he's yeah. a very good guy, a good friend of mine. I I I believe every I believe all of that uh for both of you. Uh and and I got a chance to meet you in the late 90s. Uh I'm from, you know, originally from upstate New York before I migrated down to Boston. And you were on one of those like fairground tours uh of the of the of the what I call college and cow country up in the middle of nowhere and did the meet and greet and the eight by 10 at the, at the, you know, it's one of those County fair type deals where they where where there was a, you know, a wrestling show and you were on the card and you did autographs and I got to meet you. It was such a thrill, you know, 20, Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. 25 plus years ago now, probably around 98. Just, and yeah, well you blink, <laughs> you blink and 20 year plus years have gone by bill, honestly, but it was a pleasure then. Um, and I can't wait to, to meet you again for the second time uh, coming up in May uh, down in New Jersey. I, I I just got one question for you regarding the the topic today, the '89 Rumble. I, what was your what was your kind of favorite part of that of that event? And I, and I'm going to take a guess before you answer. I'm going to guess your favorite part was being number one, so that you could hit the showers early and and and, and move well, on. Yeah. But realistically, I didn't. You know. I, I thought that I was going to go a lot longer, to be honest with you. Uh, I don't remember what number I was out. I think I was out in the mid-teens. But when I went down, I'm thinking, if I'm going to last, I don't know how many guys were there, in the, close to 30 guys. I said, it's going to be a long, it's going to be a long, long day. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it, it, just the whole atmosphere. I think the fans in the audience, uh, you know, they generate a lot of excitement, and you just feed off of that. So it would be hard just to, to say one one portion, but I think the event itself, that's still one of my favorites, uh, the, the anxiety and the excitement that it generates. So it was exciting the whole time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Well, uh, I'm sure you hear this from – a lot of people all the time, but uh, much like Tommy and, and, and Brian, Demolition is my all-time favorite tag team. Uh, I just loved the look and the and the, the aura that, that you and um, Barry brought to the ring. And yeah, the big rubber guys was just – just my, my eyes got wide when I saw those. I was like, I got to have them. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll move on. We'll let some other callers get in. But uh, thanks for taking the time. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to call in. All right, thank you so much, Matt, for continuing today's conversation. Absolute legend joining us today, Demolition Axe. Bill Eady drew number one in the 1989 Royal Rumble. Up next on the call line, it's time to visit the firehouse because we're talking to firefighter Brian. Brian, good morning, sir. You are live with the one and only Axe. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Very good. Good, good, good. Yeah, um... Listen, Bill, I'm a, like everybody else, I'm a huge fan. You know, I remember when you guys uh, made your big debut in 87, I believe it was. And, you know, you were 
it's very rare you see a wrestler or a team and you say there's immediately and you say immediately these guys or this guy is going to wear the belts one day and um you guys were a slam dunk you wore three you won it three times which i know sounds like nothing today you got these 14 15 whatever team time champions uh, but when you guys won it for the third time at WrestleMania six, that was huge. That was, you know, you didn't see much of that. You didn't see two time champions, let alone three right. times. So that's it. You know, so uh, uh, now my uh, rumble comment is, and listen, I really like for a lot of people, myself included, everybody who was in the room, my brother, my cousins, whoever, that was our first Royal Rumble. I know technically it wasn't. Um, you know, we weren't, you know, up that late during the week in 88 on a weekday. Um, but uh, so 89 was our first real rumble. And I loved how the two of you started out one and two. It gave because you, you heard for months leading to the buildup, every man for himself. And Jesse yeah. Ventura asked, are they going to go at it? And Gorilla Monsoon said to Jess, it's every man for himself. And you guys did that. Um, what I really, what I want to get your take on, what I really liked about the 89 Rumble and pretty much until the 93 Rumble, or 92, should I say, is what I really liked about it, you had a lot of big names. Hogan, Piper, Macho Man, I mean, you, you name it. Of course, you guys, Andre, okay, Jake. Um, and they gave the win to Big John Studd, who was just, you know, coming back, making his big return. But he didn't give it to, like, a big, na- a big name. They gave it to a guy coming back. What I also miss, kind of miss about the Rumble, um, you know, I like how the winner gets the, uh, you know, the shot at WrestleMania. But I kind of miss, in your days, Bill, because it was – more unpredictable you know nowadays it's between what three guys maybe four in a good year who's going to win the other 26 27 sometimes more guys it's meaningless okay it's it's a lot more predictable when nothing that big is at stake you know the guy wins the rumble maybe wins you know a cash prize or whatever gets a super duper push um well what's what's your take on that well, I, I I kind of agree with you. I think that uh, now they're concentrating on maybe a half dozen people. I think that the talent base, not that the guys today aren't talented, I think that the talent base that they were pushing years ago was a little wider. Uh, and the opportunity for advancement was a little greater. Now it seems that... Uh, and I think they went through a period where they were just pushing and pushing and pushing and a half dozen guys, maybe five. And it was, like you say, predictable. And I've always thought that, uh, you know, they ought to listen to the fans a little more. The fans, they've seen more matches than any particular matchmaker or booker has done in their own single life. Just uh, take a survey of what the people want and uh, let them have an opportunity, let the people have an opportunity for input. After all, you know, that's, that's the people that are paying the tickets. 
So I, I agree with you to an extent. Good. I'm, uh, that's good to hear from somebody like you who's been around so long. And uh, just one last question before I go. Um, you know, you and Smash did a program with Andre, Sir Andre's Hogan feud. You know, Andre was getting big. He was, you know, having a hard time moving around. You know, uh, I mentioned Big John Studd. His comeback was short-lived. Uh, a lot of speculation that, you know, he and Andre just butted heads and one of them had to go and they weren't going to get rid of Andre. Um, how was Andre, you know, how were you guys with Andre both in and out of the ring? How were you guys working with him? And how were you guys getting along with him outside the ring? Oh, perfect. We got along perfectly. One, one of my best friends, Andre was godfather to my daughters. And I knew oh, Andre... Sure. For, for years and years before uh, in Japan back and forth. So we were good friends. Uh, he was friends of my wife and my family, and uh, he would call my wife every Sunday evening when he was over there making the, the Princess Pride because he missed, you know, inside news on the wrestling, and he'd chat with her. So the perfect, perfect uh, relationship. Oh, great story. Great story. So I'll, uh, listen, I'm going to thank uh, you guys for the time. I'm going to thank uh, you, Bill, for your time. I'll see you in the spring at 80s Wrestling Con, I hope. And um, on my way out, I'll hang up and let you answer. Uh, do you have a good Andre story? That you can tell. <laughs> that you can tell. Have a good one, guys. I'll well, see you next week. Yeah, there's so many good stories. The, the best Andre story I've got to I was able to have friendship with him over the years. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, when we hear interviews or read interviews about Andre, it's always said that he kept his circle of friends real real tight. He didn't trust a lot of people. But in all the interviews I've ever read, Bill, your name is always brought up as being one of his nearest uh, and dearest friends. And then I just saw a YouTube interview with your partner Smash, where he said you guys surprised Andre on his birthday once and took him to his favorite uh, wine vineyard yeah. in Paris, and that was a real special moment for you guys. Yeah, yeah, Andre, Andre was kind of guarded, and I think that uh, it wasn't. I don't think that it was against people in particular, but a lot of people wanted to take advantage of it because, uh, for one reason or another, they would go places and, you know the restaurants wouldn't charge or this or that. And, uh, uh, but there was no shades of gray. He, he, he either liked you or he didn't like you. And I think that, you know, my wife and I talked about it years ago and it was like, he had a premonition that he wasn't going to be around long and why waste your time on people that, you know, are, are trying to do negative things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, I miss him. I think of him quite often. He's absolute legend in the business. He's one of those names that transcended the world of pro wrestling. And like you said, he's, he filmed movies. He was known wherever he went. He was just one of those individuals that seemed to be uh, destined to be well-known throughout the world. And uh, most everybody that talks about him has nothing but the nicest things to say about him, which, which is, I'm sure as a dear friend of him is just wonderful to hear all these years later, people still talk about him, remember what he contributed to the business, but also talk about what the kind of person he was. Well, yes. And and when you think about it, what other individual other than 
maybe Muhammad Ali was known throughout the world at that time. I mean, everybody knew Muhammad Ali mm-hmm. and everybody knew Andre the Giant. So, yeah, he was a good guy. And I, I, it's unfortunate we've lost so many of our, our talented and, and positive people. So it is it's good it's, members uh, of it. That's that's wonderful because yeah, it is very sad how many of your uh, your friends aren't still with us and able to share their stories as well. And as luck would have it, in the 1989 Royal Rumble, Andre's the guy that came in third, uh, and so you got to work with your friend there. Um, how exciting is that to be in the ring? People always talk now. Wrestlers talk about being in the ring when the undertaker makes his entrance and how you kind of get the goosebumps in the ring waiting for, for him to come to the ring. It had to be similar with guys like Andre, the giant where you and smash are in the ring and you see him make his way. You hear the reaction from the crowd. It's got to be exciting as a performer to be working with somebody like Andre. Well, that, that plus the fact that we could could stop beating each other up too. But, uh, Yeah, Andre and I and and Barry, we had a number of of, of matches. Unfortunately, we were able to work a program with him. But I had worked with Andre a number of times as the mass superstar in, in the Mid-Atlantic mm-hmm. in Georgia. And then overseas, I was his opponent and his tag partner for uh, New Japan. So it was always fun. I mean, it was always fun. And he was a little unpredictable sometimes in things he would do. I mean, he, he had a good sense of humor, and he liked to play practical jokes, but they were never, you know, vicious jokes. They were fun sure. jokes. Sure. Um, in this particular Royal Rumble, you lasted a little bit longer uh, than Smash did. Smash was only in the Rumble for about five minutes. You were there for nearly 15 minutes. You were finally eliminated by Mr. Perfect. Now, I am based out of Minnesota. Mr. Perfect is one of the guys that we kind of – put on a pedestal as a fellow Minnesotan that did really great things. I would love to know your impression of working uh, with Kurt Henning. Well, Kurt was uh, exceptional. I mean, he was very talented, could do a good uh, promo, could do almost anything in the ring. Uh, talk about practical jokes, sometimes a little, little, little too far, but uh, I don't think he was, he was malicious and vicious. He just liked to have a good time. And uh, there again, you know, we had a situation where he's gone too soon. I mean, it's it's sad. No, it, it really is sad. And uh, I talked a little bit about his Minnesota connection. I mean, for a while, a lot of guys, including your take team partner, came out of Minnesota. Um, a good crop of wrestlers came out of Minnesota in the 80s. Do you have any experience uh, with wrestling in Minnesota or guys from Minnesota uh, other than smash? Oh yeah. I was in there for a short period of time. Uh, Vern wanted me to come up as a mass superstar and I was in and out. He wanted me to, to move up there and I was in Charlotte at the time. And then we had just recently moved to uh, Georgia and I wasn't about to, <laughs> my wife said she's not going any further than the Georgia border. <laughs> I don't blame her. <laughs> and, uh, and at the time, uh, the Minneapolis territory, they only, I think they only ran about 15 or 20 events a, a month. So you could make them all. And from Atlanta, you could make anywhere in the world, of course. Mm. And most of them direct flights. So, but yeah, there was a, before 
Minnesota uh, talent pool. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Hamilton, Ontario. That was where they had a, it's like a farm lake where they would, uh, had tons and tons of wrestlers that became very popular and renowned. So it moved sort of a little west from Hamilton, that generation, to then the Minneapolis area. But, yeah, you're talking to probably 20 guys out of there that, that made a good name for themselves. Wow. Hey, Bill, we're going to we'll take one more call, and then we'll, we'll let you go. And we appreciate all the time you gave us this morning. Real quick, I had a quick question. So I know you were super tight with Andre back in the band. That's a little off subject from the Royal Rumble. But it's an interesting question now. You're, you're, anyone that hasn't met Bill in person, Bill is a big man, uh, a lot bigger than he looks on TV. But you can still blend in some way, somehow, with the regular society. But when you're out with Andre the Giant, and I'm sure that you've gone out with him in the past where you guys went out to eat or went to the bar or something like that, every head has to be turned when, when you're with Andre. What, what was it like going somewhere with Andre the Giant? Well, you're right, absolutely right. I mean, you can't miss him. And uh, the situation was that I think that over the years, it just wore him down mentally because – how many times can you be saying, how's the air up there? Or mm. how much do you weigh? Or what, what, you know, what do you eat? And Andre never really ate that much in volume as compared to the normal person. Uh, he did, he could consume alcohol. But when you think about it, there was a situation, I think I saw something on the internet the other day, where, uh, you know, a, a traditional can of beer looks like a mini can in his hands. And uh, it just got, it, it got to the point, I think, even for me, people would gawk at him and walk up to him and, you know, want to take pictures with him. He had no downtime. Uh, the only time that I think Andre felt comfortable was when he was around a bunch of the, the wrestlers, in, in particular in the dressing room, because he was just one of us. But when he was walking through the terminal, uh, trying to catch a cab or uh, in a restaurant, you know, you can imagine this guy that's seven feet, 500 pounds, and people are, you know, making comments. It was sometimes people are rude and they don't mean to be all the time, but how many times are you going to see a guy that size? So it's, it's, I think it wore on him a little bit but he handled it as best possible. So, Bill, you mentioned that, you know, walking through crowds, people are going to notice him. Now, you wore a mask as the mask superstar, and then later you wore face paint. Did you find that you had an easier time walking through airports and stuff? Were you harder to recognize oh. because you covered your face? Oh, yeah. Nobody. I mean, very few people. The only time that people would recognize us. Uh, even when Barry and I were walking together, as if Fuji was close around, then they would put two and two together and add one. Uh, but, you know, I tell a story one time when I was in uh, the Charlotte territory and we all went for a series of matches to uh, Florida and we stayed at uh, Disney World and Flair and Mulligan and Wahoo and all these guys, we were all there and we had our families with us. So I brought the wife and my my daughters down at the time. 
without the mask, I'm in the pool having a good time and flair. And then we go to uh, <laughs> Disney World stuff. Hell, they had more people following than Mickey Mouse. <laughs> Nobody knew who we were, but they they were following Flair and <laughs> Flair and Wahoo and Mulligan. They had to end up leaving. <laughs> I guess that's yeah. That's the benefit of covering your face on TV. You're a little bit harder to recognize uh, out yeah. in the public, which is fantastic. Well, I did that's have great. a few people at the, at the airport that worked at the airport here in Atlanta uh, recognized me. It wasn't because of the facial features. It was because of my voice. And the one guy at one time come and says, aren't you, uh, I said, how would you know that? He says, I heard you talking, getting your ticket. (laughs) Well, listen, Bill, we really, really appreciate you taking a little time out this morning to talk to us, uh, not only about the business, about, the Royal Rumble, a lot of our fans are really excited that the Royal Rumble is this weekend. And obviously, you kicked off the Royal Rumble. So it, it was real cool to have you on. And we're really excited to have you up here again for 80s Wrestling Con. Again, anyone out there that hasn't met the, or had the opportunity to meet Demolition yet, they will be appearing at 80s Wrestling Con on Saturday, May the 4th, at the Menden Sports Arena in Morristown, New Jersey. Head over to 80swrestlingcon.com now. Tickets are available. Also, feel free to follow uh, Demolition on Instagram, and the tag is search and destroy you. And I know firsthand that Bill does run this account himself. I helped set it up for him, but Bill has taken over, and Bill runs the account, and he is extremely good with all his fans. So if you're on Instagram, give them a follow. It's search and destroy you. Bill, Thank you so much for taking the time out, and it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and we're so excited to have you come up in uh, May. Thank you, my friend. Looking forward to seeing you again. All right, and I'm hoping to have many more appearances for you throughout the year as well. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll be cooking soon, good. all right? Uh, very all good. Right, well, thank good you luck, so much. Have, have a great day. Bye-bye. Absolute legend, Tommy. Thank you so much for hooking us up with that surprise guest this morning. The number one entry to the 1989 Royal Rumble. It is hard to believe that this Saturday will mark the 37th installment of this uh, Royal Rumble event, which is, man, it's a good thing we're not getting older. Just the events are, Tommy. (laughs) That's right, man. Let me, let me, do do you have the 19... 89 Royal Rumble roster pulled up right now on your computer because I'm going to do so right now. Let's go over it together. Oh, for sure, man. I got the order of entrance. I got the order of elimination. Man, I got everybody. What do you need to know? Who do you need to know? I'm I'm with you right now. So let's take a look at the card itself. There was two dark matches in this first ever pay-per-view Royal Rumble. Jim Powers opened up the card taking on Barry Horowitz. And Sam Houston was in another dark match against Steve Lombardi. So two dark matches, the first ever Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And the show opened up with Hacksaw Jim Duggan teaming up with the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim the Anvil Knight Hart to take on Dino Bravo and the fabulous Rougeau brothers with Frenchie Martin and Jimmy Hart. It was two out of three falls. That was followed by Rockin' Robin defending her 
WWF women's title against Judy Martin. King Haku with Bobby the Brain Heenan in this corner took on Harley Race. And then it was the 30-man Royal Rumble. So they only put on three matches on the pay-per-view. Uh, and then the Royal Rumble, Jay. Now it's a little bit different. Now you probably get, what, four or five matches in a Royal Rumble. But, yes, the, the order of entrance was Axe number one and Smash number two, followed by Andre the Giant. And uh, it, 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 I'm looking, I'm just scrolling through all these names, Jay. There is so many big names in this Royal Rumble. It's crazy. No, this is the this is the prime time. If you're a wrestling fan of the World Wrestling Federation around this time, you are seeing nothing but uh, big names coming into the Royal Rumble. There's really no filler. Every once in a while in the past couple of years, you'll get you know a filler, somebody who you don't really think has a chance to win. You don't really think they have the star power as the other people in the ring, and you know it could be a chance to elevate them. I get that, but back here in 1989, man, everybody that walks that aisle and gets in that ring is somebody that as a fan you're super familiar with that you've seen on your television that you've seen in train cards magazines you probably have action figures of these people and so this for me and i know it's because i grew up in this time period but this is just this is awesome stuff because everybody i'm such a huge fan of and i love if if you're looking at the the same page i am it has the elimination times uh and one of the things i remember is the warlord Big, bad, scary dude. Met him at your 80s wrestling cons, Tommy. Probably one of the nicest people I've ever met uh, at one of your conventions. I'm learning that the bigger and scarier the guy is, the nicer of a person they turn out to be. And Warlord definitely fits that uh, description. Big guy. And when I met him, I asked him at one of your conventions, I'm like, man, why didn't they ever put you in a program with Hogan for a little bit? Just your size. like You look like you could be a legitimate threat. To Hogan, so we talked about that for a little while. Uh, but here in this Rumble, Hogan eliminates the Warlord in two seconds, and that's something that I still remember watching as a kid. And I actually just watched the highlights of it this morning before we jumped on the air here. And that's one of the things that I saw again. Warlord steps through the rope, and Hogan immediately clotheslines him out over the top rope. Yeah, man, he he was a monster of a man. And if you've never met him in person, he is gigantic. In person, but yeah, when he was doing that singles run with uh, Harvey Whippleman, he could have been easily one of the guys that they fed to Hogan in a program. I'm, I'm surprised also that uh, he wasn't. Uh, but yeah, I mean, everyone, if you look back at this Royal Rumble, Jay, there is so much star power in this. I'm just going to read the 30 guys. Uh, it, it, it is in the order that they did appear in the Rumble. So it's Axe and Smash Demolition, Andre the Giant, Mr. Perfect, Ronnie Garvin. Greg Valentine, Jake the Snake Roberts, Ron Bass, Shawn Michaels, Bushwhacker Butch, the Honky Tonk Man, Tito Santana, Bad News Brown, Marty Jannetty, Macho Man Randy Savage, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard, Hulk Hogan, Bushwhacker Luke, Coco Beware, The Warlord, The Big Boss Man, Akeem, Brutus Beefcake, The Red Rooster, The Barbarian, Big John Stud, Hercules, Rick Martell, and The Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, this is a who's who of big name wrestlers from the 1980s, Jay. No, it absolutely is. This is prime time wrestling. Let me ask you this. As the promoter, Tommy, do you think, what do you think the uh, the pick to have Big John Studd win? We've talked about it's not the first Royal Rumble, but it's the first pay-per-view one. It's the first one that lots of eyes are getting to see and really they invested 
uh, you know, the machine behind. What do you think your promoter, from a promoter standpoint, what's the uh, what's the push to have Big John Stun be your first pay per view Royal Rumble winner? Yeah, and I don't, and I'm saying that not trying to be disrespectful at all, because uh, I was a big fan of Big John Stud, and obviously they were trying to push him at this time, obviously as a as a top babyface by having him win this Royal Rumble. I don't listen. No disrespect again, but here we are, 37 years later. You said, and I barely remember him winning the Royal Rumble because it never went anywhere, and and and, and he never uh, went higher as a babyface after the fact that he won that Royal Rumble. So again, no disrespect whatsoever. I'm a huge, huge Big John Stud fan as a heel, as a babyface, and him winning that Rumble, it just didn't do it for me personally. Maybe you have a different feeling about it, but for me personally, I wasn't feeling it. You know, I think I think it just comes down to 30 men. You, you got to have somebody who's maybe believable. And granted, anybody, you read the roster, any of these guys were believable. But a lot of the other ones were, as, as I think babyface Brian mentioned, in his call, they're furthering other storylines. You know, you get the Macho Man Hulk Hogan uh, tease. You know, you get maybe a little bit of Andre the Giant and Jake the Snake going on. You get Rick Root. You know, there, there's things happening that they're they're furthering other storylines, and so maybe those guys are out from being your winner. And so you need somebody who looks like they could outlast 30 other men. And Big John Stud came in very late, number 27. Uh, so he only had to last about 12 minutes. But once Andre's out, maybe, yeah, they're selling the fact who else is big enough to get out Big John Stud. You know, they're kind of pushing him as that second giant of the World Wrestling Federation. And so my guess is, yeah, they're just trying to give him a little boost uh, by winning the Royal Rumble. Okay, so let me, let me ask you a question then. So they're trying to give him a boost winning the Royal Rumble. So he did win the Royal Rumble. Uh, in your opinion, as a fan, did it give him the rub that they were trying to do, or do you think that this one was kind of kind of turned out flat? Listen, man, we don't like to talk bad about any golden era professional wrestler or any professional oh, wrestler no, no. in I, general. I, I, listen, ab- absolutely not. I, I promise you I'm not doing that. I was, like I said, yeah. I was a gigantic Big John Stud fan. He was actually one the first personal appearance I ever went to, Jay, was at the Meadowlands Racetrack in New Jersey. It was 1986, and they did a promotion there because they were doing something at the Brendan Byrne Arena across the street from the racetrack, and they had Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Big John Studd there. So in 1986, I met them. They were the first two wrestlers I met. I met, uh, I met Dick Worley at a pizzeria after a WWF show, uh, and I met Lanny Poppo as well as I caught his Frisbee. But as far as going to a personal appearance, the first guy I ever met was Steamboat and Big John Studd, and I was a big, big John Studd fan. I had his, you know, his LJNs and, and all that. I have no disrespect whatsoever. I just feel, looking back on it, that once he won that Rumble, nothing really happened after that. I think that they could have really given that to somebody. If it wasn't going to be the Hogan who won a few Royal Rumbles, uh, they could have given it to somebody else. I think that it didn't elevate him nearly the way they thought it was going to. No, and I was going to say, I don't think John Studd had the charisma that I don't know what you could have done to get him over to the same level as some of the other guys that were in the Rumble. Um, he had size, but I don't think he had the charisma that 
you know, I don't think winning was going to do it for him. I don't think putting him in a big feud with other big guys. I mean, he feuded with Andre. I mean, he had his moment with Hogan. I just don't think there was anything that was really going to get him to that next level. And so I don't want to say picking him as the winner was wasted. I think it makes sense that, you know, a guy of his size could win the Royal Rumble. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting, you know, from a booking standpoint to kind of look and, and make that decision. But I'm guessing they were trying to give him a little bit more significance, a little more, you know, the winner of the first ever Royal Rumble. I'm looking back at this, this roster here, and if it's not Hogan or Macho Man that you're giving it to, I think Jake the Snake Roberts would have been a great choice to give this 1989 Royal Rumble. I mean, we could, we, could play, we could play armchair booker from now until we both turn blue in the face of, of who they could have went with for this, uh, this, this Royal Rumble. Uh, Jake was, I believe, if I'm wrong, tell me, I believe Jake was just starting to get red hot as a babyface at this time, right? Because that oh, was in it. He, so he would have been a great choice. Uh, to, to win this rumble and uh, I don't know, whatever they, they they booked it the way they booked it and listen I, I don't book all uh, I don't book all Ricky Steamboat Ric Flair five star matches either so I get it you know some there's hits and there's misses uh, I think if you look back at the history of the Royal Rumble uh, again it's not me uh, being disrespectful at all because again I'm a huge Big John Sud fan but if you look back at the history of the Royal Rumble and everyone that won it. Uh, his might be one of the less talked about ones. And again, I don't mean that disrespectfully at all. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The Royal Rumble becomes one of the big marquee pay-per-views for the World Wrestling Federation. Um, And it's one, I think a lot of fans would say they put it just behind WrestleMania as their favorite pay-per-view of the year. I think a lot of that has to do with this style match. The Royal Rumble is always interesting it's always intriguing because you can do so much when you have this many guys entering the ring you can further storylines you can start storylines you know now the big thing is who's going to win and go to wrestlemania but yeah this style of match is just so unique i would love to know from a from a promoter standpoint tommy you've done rumbles before with ispw is that is it as fun to put together and think about from a promoter standpoint as it is for a fan to watch. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Absolutely. And I'm so happy you brought this up right now because we just announced the other day that on March the 22nd at the Totowa PAL in Totowa, New Jersey, you know, I've done one rumble in the past, Jay, and it was a 20-man Royal Rumble. And it was super fun. I love being creative. I love, love having a couple surprise guys in there. It was a lot of fun. I, I, I loved, loved, loved putting it together. So on March the 22nd, we are going to be doing a 30-man WWE-style Royal Rumble. It is called the Golden Ticket, and the winner of the Rumble will have the opportunity for an ISW heavyweight title shot anytime they want. The, the current, the current uh, briefcase holder right now is Ray Kalitri, and he has until – May the 6th, remember last year's AD Sakani won it. So he has until May the 6th to cash in his golden ticket. And whoever wins this golden ticket on March the 22nd, it will become valid on uh, May the 7th. So uh, 30 men, and uh, I'm really excited for it. Tickets are going to go on sale for this event on February the 1st, and we'll be talking more about that in the future. But, yeah, 
it, it's really, really, really. I like being creative, Jay. So uh, a match like that where you're able to have so many different moving parts and different surprises and 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 so many different opportunities to pop the crowd by doing something that they weren't expecting to see. It's it's fun. It's a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to to do this. And anyone that lives in the New Jersey area, I urge you to definitely come out to see this. Again, it's the Golden Ticket Rumble, and it's going to be on Friday, March the 22nd, Totowa PAL in Totowa, New Jersey. It's going to be super cool, and uh, we'll definitely do uh, talk a little more about it. And the week before that, I know I mentioned Jay. Uh, we're gonna we have a big march, so the week before we're gonna have a show at Hackettstown High School in Hackettstown, New Jersey, and WWE Hall of Famer Mick Foley is going to be the special guest general manager for the night. He is doing a autograph signing before the show starts from 6 to 9. So if you're coming to the show that starts at 7.30, uh, you have the opportunity to meet Mick Foley and see a great night of wrestling. Ringside is sold out already, Jay, by the way. First, second, and third row is gone. So only general missions remain Anyone that's interested in tickets for that event can head over to AmishMike.com. That's A-M-I-S-H-Mike.com. They're selling the general mission tickets on there. Tickets for the Mick Foley meet and greet are going to go on sale either later tonight or tomorrow. Uh, we're going to get the tickets for that added on the ISPW website. Before the show started, I texted Jumpin' Jay, go Jumpin' Jay. I need a couple updates today for the ISW. I haven't, I haven't asked for a while. And I said, I'll send you a big package out of magazine. So Jumpy Jay is happy about that. I know you got some wrestling eyes. I sent you down there last time. This one's going to be a lot bigger of a package for you, buddy. Listen, man, I just take those wrestling eye magazines for a walk around the neighborhood and all the, the boys and girls come running down to the street corner to see what I got because they ain't never seen no wrestling eye in Minnesota. I'm the one and done uh, guy in this area, so I appreciate it. Hey, before we transition and, and, and sign off for today, uh, big announcements coming from the WWE concerning where you'll be able to see Raw, SmackDown, all their uh, prime events. I would just love to get your take. I'm sure you saw the news this week, Tommy, about the big shift coming in the year 2025. I would love to know what your take on it is. I think it's fascinating. I think that uh, the whole dynamic of the WWF, WWE, I'm sorry, is changing right before everyone's eyes. Not only did they announce that, but they announced that The Rock is on the, the board of directors for the company. So a lot of moving parts for the WWE right now, but I think everyone, and we've been, I know, I know most of we talk about 80s wrestling here on the podcast, but we do talk a little bit recently in the last couple of months about current WWE stuff. And there's no denying, Jay, that they are red hot right now. And if Netflix is picking them up, uh, and, and I'm sure it was, I'm sure it was a, a bidding war between them and USA Network uh, for Netflix to get the rights to the Monday Night Raw is gigantic, gigantic. And I, I believe this is going to be a big year for the wrestling business. I feel the business uh, being on the inside of it, I feel it getting hot. You know what I mean, Jay? Like you see, like, again, the perfect example, there's a wrestling movie in the movie theater right now that did very well. You know, uh, the, the, they're, all the WWE's baby faces are super red hot right now as baby faces. Their numbers, they, their 2023 numbers was the biggest numbers they've ever done in the company. So all those things point to a uh, possible uh, bump in, in the business this year. I really think that 
Uh, it's going to be an exciting year. I think that there's going to be a lot of things that are going to go on that's going to shock a lot of people. And I'm excited for it, man. As, 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 a, as a wrestling promoter, as a wrestling fan, as someone that owns a wrestling store, and that's so involved in the in the, the the business on a daily basis. I'm super excited to see how far along the business comes this year because uh, while while it might not be nearly as hot as the Attitude Era or even the the boom period during Hulkamania in the '80s, you feel like something's coming. You really, at least I do. I feel like something's coming. I feel like it's not too far away. I feel like things are heating up, and that makes for an exciting product and an exciting year. Yeah, and I think uh, I think you're right, and I think uh, I feel like it was Matt Cardona. It might have been somebody else. Forgive me if I have it wrong, but I think Matt Cardona recently put out on one of his social media networks that wrestling has ups and downs, but he really feels like wrestling is getting really hot right now. So if you haven't been plugged in for a while, like yeah. tune back in because you know things are getting really good. And yeah, that whole Netflix announcement is super big. You know, right now Raw. You know, they get to boast that they're, what, Cable's longest-running episodic TV show in history. You know, that, I'm assuming once you go to Netflix, that streak comes to an end, but it's been over 20 years, and so I don't think anyone's going to come close uh, to matching that, you know, what you'd call it, I don't know what you would call it, but, you know, it's it's cool that they have that as the longest-running episodic uh, show. Obviously, that changes once you go to a streaming service, and so it is very interesting. Yeah, The Rock joining the board of directors is is interesting. I read this morning, maybe you knew this, um, part of what he gets on his end of that is he gets the, the sole copyright um, rights to the, to the rock nickname. So I'm, sh- I'm sure for now he's been sharing it with the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, but wow. coming aboard, he gets the sole copyrights to the rock, which has got to be huge for him too. Wow. Hey, real quick before we end, this is, this is becoming an interesting conversation now. Before, before we end, Let's let's do something real quick. So, what's 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 Monday Night Raw average typically on a on a on a Monday night? I know that we don't have the numbers right in front of us, but would would it be safe to say 1.5 million people watch Raw? Is that is that safe to say or no? Average? Oh gosh, let me see if I can look it up because I have I honestly have no idea. Yeah, if we, I mean, if, real quickly, if you, if you, I'm I'm not in front of the computer now, but if you can real quickly look and see. Uh, Again, it could be 1.3, whatever the number is. I just want to give a roundabout idea of what number they're drawing consistently on uh, Monday Night Raw. 1.3, 1. I know SmackDown's in the twos. It looks like about. Channel, it's we'll, we'll call it 1.5. Okay, yeah, that's that's accurate. And I thought that was I thought it was around there. Okay, so say uh, say a million and a half people watch Monday Night Raw on a regular basis. Now, Jay. Give me a again. I know that we know that we don't know the numbers, but if you had to guess out of those million and a half people that watch Monday Night Raw consistently on a Monday night, how many of those people do you think currently have a, a subscription to Netflix? Would we be super generous saying half of them? Listen, I would I would say more than half of them have a Netflix subscription. And I will tell you this: I know I know many people that canceled their cable long time ago so i know lots of people yeah. that have not been watching raw but they have a netflix account and so they'll be able they'll okay. be super excited about this okay so let's say for for shits and giggles let's say out of the 1.5 million people that uh, watch raw let's say uh nine hundred thousand of uh nine hundred thousand of them have netflix right 
for shits and giggles. Let's say 600,000 sure. of them don't. Let's say 600,000. Again, this, this is just armchair booking, right? So out of those 600,000 people that don't have it, that are going to continue to want to watch Monday Night Raw, what is this, the, uh, the starting subscription for Netflix? Oh, that's my other question is, do you think it's going to go up? Do you think Netflix subscription is going to go up in 2025 because of this? Yeah. Um, let's say, what's it right now? 15 bucks a month? Is that about 14.95 or something like that? Let's see. Let's just say it is. Okay, go for it. All right. So... It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. That, that, that's the bottom line. I don't want to get the, the, the number out because, again, we don't know how many of the – and I'd love to know. I'd love to know how many of those people don't currently have Netflix that watch Monday Night Raw. But maybe that's a number that we can maybe find out in the first quarter of 2020. Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be a spike in subscriptions once Raw starts in there. But you know what I'm saying? Like there has to – there's got to be a big time upside from from Netflix taking this, and then also they probably not control the ad revenue too. You would you would assume, right? Yeah, I mean it's got to be in their benefit as well. So right now it looks like you can get a Netflix account for seven bucks a month for the standard that has ads. Sixteen bucks will get you um, a step up, and then there's a premium membership for twenty three bucks a month. And currently Netflix has uh, two hundred and sixty million subscribers. So I got to believe. Out of those 260 million people that have Netflix, the 1.5 that are watching Raw are probably part of that 260 million people. Yeah, but maybe maybe it'd be a situation where you have to have a, a premium account to be able to watch Raw. In that case, you go from taking their seven dollars a month up to twenty three dollars a month. So I mean, yeah, if that's the case, you're looking at big time money. Yeah, and then I mean, on the flip side. How many of us wrestling fans have a Peacock account just for the WWE content? Because doesn't that all go to Netflix too? If this when this happens, yeah, I, I, so I, I, be, well, does it or no? I think no, it does. I think this Monday Night Raw. I think, no, I think Monday Night Raw just goes to Netflix, doesn't it? Well, we're gonna have to do some research and finish this conversation because if you pull the WWE Network off of Peacock, you gotta think Peacock's taking a hit. People are gonna jump over to Netflix. You know, I have, I have an interesting topic for next week's conversation now that we're doing this. <laughs> let's have, let's have two about... guys who know nothing about it talk about it. I love that. <laughs> yeah, pretty, much. <laughs> pretty much. How about we talk about closed-circuit television next week? Yeah, listen, that revolutionized. Uh, yeah, that's what that, you're talking about the onset of pay-per-view. Yeah, man. Let's talk about yeah. WrestleMania 1. I mean, I saw WrestleMania 2, 3, 4, and 5 on closed-circuit television. And I know anyone that was growing up the same age as us probably did the same thing. I would love to hear callers next week call in and ex- share their experiences of seeing a WrestleMania live on closed-circuit. I think that would be a fun topic next week. Yeah, because you – I never attended any live, but you're talking about going to another arena and watching it on the big screen. Yeah, I saw WrestleMania 2, 3, 4, and 5 on closed-circuit TV at William Patterson College in, in Wayne, New Jersey. And I'll definitely share those experiences. And also, I have newspaper articles for advertisements for uh, closed-circuit WrestleMania pay-per-view experiences as well. Maybe I'll share it throughout the week. But I think it would make for an interesting topic and how it transformed from that 
to pay-per-view to WWE Network to Peacock to now Netflix. We can tie it all in together in one episode this week. I think it would make for a very interesting topic. And I, and I don't want to read between the lines, but are you suggesting instead of going the Netflix route, Raw should only be streamed on closed-circuit television? I think that's what I you're saying. Say that. I, I, think you're, I think you're hitting the bottle. I think you're hitting the bottle. I think you're hitting the bottle early down there in Minnesota this morning. Fair enough. Fair enough. No, I'm all for it. Let's talk about. Yeah, I mean, man, if you just you want know, to talk about know, how media like has it, changed. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's call it like media. Let's call that. I mean, we can bring we can talk all kinds of stuff. We're talking about pro media, the radio, the newspapers, magazines, the, how it all yeah. evolved. You know exactly. Pro wrestling Listen, media. You're not, let's do that next week. And if you're not, if you're a big wrestling company and you're not willing or able to evolve with the times, I mean, you got to figure one of the reasons WWE is still on top is because they were constantly adapting to the times and the media changes. And, you know, when social media came about, you had to jump on that early. And so, yeah, it really impacted the business. So I think that'd be a really fun topic. Yeah, man. And speaking of which, it's a nice, uh, nice softball throw to me to say that actually yesterday, I and, and, and people have been saying this for a long time, including yourself, Jay. Uh, people want to people that don't live in the New Jersey area still want to be able to see ISPW. And I know that we do a fan cam on our uh, ISPW YouTube page, but people want to see a full fledged product. And yesterday, Jay, I just worked out a deal for ISPW, 80s Wrestling Con, and 90s Wrestling Con to all be all be streamed on the premiere streaming network which is a really big company right now and we just partnered up with them yesterday so you're gonna be able to see ispw 80s wrestling kind of 90s wrestling kind of no matter where you live in uh, 2024 i'm excited about it that is fantastic look at a guy you talk about adapting to media look at my man tommy fiero doing just that you set this up man <laughs> you set it up just to plug it i love yeah. it yeah man so, and, and i think it'd be cool to have on uh someone that was in the 80s wrestling media uh, back in the day. Uh, so I'm going to do some digging and see if I can oh, find us a incredible. good guest to talk about this next week. Uh, so, James, until then, I hope you and your family have a great weekend. Are, are, you, are you planning on watching the Royal Rumble Saturday night? Because I am. Yeah, I'm, I'll be watching it. My 10-year-old son is super excited. Uh, so it'll be him and who's I on the couch. Who do you want to win the Rumble? Listen, man, right now, it, I love – 10-year-old kids because, you know, when I was 10-year-old, like, Hogan was my guy and everybody else was behind him. My son, it'll change on the daily. He's a huge Seth Rollins fan. He's a huge Cody Rhodes fan. Um, And so he just, it kind of changes on the daily. I don't know. I'll have to ask him today after school who he's actually rooting for. And he's also the type of kid, I'm not going to lie, he will say one guy, and then as soon as, you know, that guy gets eliminated, he'll switch to another guy. And then whoever wins, Ultimately, he'll say, that's who I really wanted to win the whole time. He's that guy. <laughs> so in other words, yeah. just like his dad. In other words, hey, listen, just like his dad, right? You got to go with the winner. That's right. Hey, this just came in the text line. Shout out to Babyface Brian, the walking encyclopedia. He says, Netflix gets everything, like all content, outside of the United States. But inside the United States, Monday Night Rob will be on Netflix. Peacock keeps the, the network. Gotcha. That's, that's, what I, that's what I thought it was. That, that, yeah, that's according to me. Right. For them, that outside of W, don't tell me. Don't tell me he disappeared again. Yeah, yeah. He just walked in from the kitchen. He's eating a cookie, having a snack, and he just <laughs> said, "Hey, I was listening downstairs. <laughs> here's, here's my two cents." That's amazing. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, he's listening, so he texted well, yeah, that, that in. 
Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to next week's episode, and I'm going to try and get on someone from the wrestling media, uh, maybe even someone like uh, a, a news reporter from the 80s, a, a wrestling news reporter, Some, something fun we're going to have next week here on the podcast. I promise you that. Uh, Jay, I hope you and your family and you and your son, importantly, uh, have a nice Royal Rumble Saturday. I'll be watching up here in New Jersey, and we will check you out next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.